Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much for indulging us to just worship the Lord together a little bit further. It doesn't take away from the amazing worship of this amazing team of worshipers in this house. It's, uh, it's a rare gift when you find a church that has worshipers that are both skilled and anointed. Sometimes you get skill at the cost of anointing, and sometimes you get anointing at the cost of skill. And so it's good to be in a house that has both. And I thank God for Reverend Julian. Can I give him a big God bless you? Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for bringing me in. Thank you for being such a, a great friend, someone I can call every now and again and just greet. Uh, I feel like it's been too long, but I'm glad we get to see each other again. How be it for a day, but uh, we shall be back in Jesus' name. And to all of the pastors, leaders, dear friends, thank you so much. God bless you as well. I want to, uh, to release an assignment that the Lord has spoken to me about concerning Kenya. If you don't mind just taking my mic up a little bit so I don't have to shout too much. But I want to thank you. I want to release an assignment that the Lord has given me over Kenya. Now, I am an Issachar prophet through and through. I love the prophetic. I love its different flavors. Um, I don't always like its different styles. But I do like its different flavors. I like what the prophetic means um, to the world. And... Um, you know, I believe one of the greatest travesties that can ever come upon a nation is for that nation to go into a famine of the prophetic. For that nation to go into a famine of the prophetic. And Amos 8 verse 11 says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread and water, but a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. And my prayer for nations is to end that famine. That famine is the worst famine. When God stops speaking, nations go into chaos. For the Bible says, where there is no prophetic revelation, the people run wild. Um, unfortunately, with every authentic, there must be counterfeit. With, and this is the unfortunate byproduct of the prophetic around the world. That with the authentic prophetic, there must be counterfeit. And my prayer for Kenya, my prayer for Zimbabwe, and my prayer for South Africa is that they don't throw out the baby with the bath water. My prayer is that we recognize that the counterfeit is evidence. Oh, your amens are going to get better in a minute. Listen, I'm from Nigeria. We... we we need loud church, otherwise I feel nervous. Amen? So help me feel like I'm back home. Just shout amen anyway. Okay? It's evidence that the authentic exists. Counterfeit does not eradicate the authentic. It provides evidence of the authentic. And my great prayer for Kenya, South Africa, and Zimbabwe is that they celebrate the authentic wherever they see it. You don't know them by their gift. Because some of the most false prophets in every nation carry authentic capacity for precision. The first prototype in the Bible of a false prophet was a man who gave a true prophecy. His name was Balaam. And so I want you to recognize that we don't know them by their gift. 
we know them by their fruit. And the reason why the prophetic has metastasized into a cancerous form around Eastern Africa predominantly, because Western Africa has the responsibility of transporting the apostolic around the world. It's from Western Africa that we see the largest churches and ministries and apostolic works, because the inheritance of Western Africa is the apostolic. The inheritance of Eastern Africa is the prophetic. Western Africa has transported the good apostolic and the controlling apostolic. Eastern Africa has transported the great prophet and the false prophet. And so when you map out the land prophetically, you begin to understand the assignment of East Africa is to transport the prophetic around the world, which it has, good, bad, and ugly. And the assignment of West Africa has been to transport the apostolic around the world, good, bad, and ugly. There, I, I can't tell you how many people travel to West Africa from America and all over the world to discover how we have managed to pick up on apostolic blueprints. I can't tell you how many people from all around the world travel to East Africa to discover how is it that you have people who are able to discern God's voice with such forensic accuracy. And so when you recognize the inherent DNA of your nation, you're able to flow with it at a greater pace, but you're also able to build guardrails around it so that it doesn't slip into decay. Now, let me say this that the Lord told me concerning East Africa, predominantly Kenya, South Africa, Zimbabwe. There must be a recognition of the authentic, but there also must be a reproduction of the authentic because God's not getting rid of the false anytime soon. What's he doing instead? The authentic must rise to a place of such definition and clarity that it exposes the counterfeit naturally. Now, what, what do I mean by this? And I, I've got to be really succinct with this. The most dangerous thing you can do is desperate. The most dangerous thing you can be. Do you mind if I take my time? The most dangerous thing you can be is desperate. There is nothing more dangerous than a desperate nation. Because desperation is brother to deception. Desperation is brother to deception. Now, I don't mind, you know, the songs, we're hungry for God, we're hungry for God, we're hungry for God. But the Bible actually prescribes specifically what we should be hungry for. It don't actually say be hungry for God. It's a blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. So it tells us what our diet should be. But to be purely desperate is a dangerous place to be. Because when you're desperate, you'll eat anything. When you're desperate, you'll drink anything. When you're desperate, you'll buy into anything. There's got to come a place in Africa where we cease to be desperate. Because it's in the place of desperation that you are most vulnerable to exploitation. It's in the place where you're hungry and when you're starving that you'll settle for moldy bread. A hungry person doesn't examine the food for its deliciousness or its nutrition. They simply want to satisfy their hunger. And so the Lord wants to put the Kenyan church in a place where it is confidently desperate for the right things. And so I want to talk to you today about some of the things I can see coming into the nation that 
are inherent in your DNA that if we don't take care of it quickly, if we don't solve some of these things and become a representation of the authentic um, prophetic, uh, let me just say this, you're, you're vulnerable, you're vulnerable and pregnable when you are, I've got to be careful how I say this, when your prophetic source is only one place. Because one place can get it wrong. The blueprint of God in this hour has shifted. And it is now God's desire that all his people were prophets. And that the Lord would put his spirit on them all. For according to Acts 2 and Joel 2, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And so by now, the prophetic famine should have ended where it is no longer held on the pulpit. It is now manifesting in the pew. That means any time we hear demons manifesting, we ought to know it by the symptom of sickness. We ought to know it by the symptom of disease. We ought to know it by the symptom of mental illness. But any time we see the Holy Ghost manifesting, we ought to know it by the symptom of prophecy. For the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. And so by now, I ought no longer be a novelty. By now it is the plan and intention of God that all God's people are prophets and he pour out his spirit on them all. It's the mandate of God according to John 10, 27. My sheep know my voice. My sheep know my voice. That means that that there must be a shift from the pulpit to the pew. I want to point your direction to some things that I believe the Lord is going to grow us in um, because we are in a new season in Africa. And all across Africa, there is a holy discontent. And this holy discontent is getting ready to erupt into change. But let me tell you something. Change must come first from any particular one nation. And it was my heart that change would come from Nigeria. But I believe change can come from Kenya. I believe, listen, I be, eh, look, there's not a nation I go to that doesn't believe their nation is going to be the nation. Can I just say that? When I'm in Europe, I go to Germany, they say, God told us revival is coming to Europe through Germany. When I go to France, God told us revival is coming through France. But can I tell you something? The inheritance of nations is for the taker. It's actually for the nation that will take it first. Listen, the birthright was meant for Esau, but Jacob took it. That means that, hey, who knows which nation in Africa gets to go first according to the mandate of heaven, but according to the mandate of God, anybody willing to violently take it by force has the first right to pursue the change that Africa is waiting for. So I'm a nations person through and through. If you know people invite me, it's usually to hear the Lord for nations. Um, I've been to governments, parliaments. I've even visited your now president and his wife, um, amazing man and woman of God, by the way. I've been, I've, I've sat in the United Nations. I've been in parliament. I've sat in Downing Street, and every single one of them wants to hear one thing: What is God saying for the nation? That's my assignment. I love individual prophecy. I love ministering over the one and the two. Don't get me wrong, but my, I see nations like people because I recognize that if the nation goes well, the individual goes well. 
And so often what we have in the prophetic is this kind of show where we invite a prophet to tell you your name, your surname, and your goldfish's name, and you already know those things. And so we bring people in to wow you with wonderful words of knowledge that can never actually change you. They can excite you, but they can't actually ignite you. They can't produce the level of fuel necessary to transform the nation. And so I want to talk to a group of people who are hungry for that. Maybe I'll lay a foundation here, and then I'll talk about it later on in the evening as well. Isaiah 61, let's start there. Um, the reason I'm starting in Isaiah 61 is because I recognize that Africa loves the anointing. When you say, how was the service? What do they mean by powerful? They mean somebody jumped up out of a wheelchair. Somebody's eyes opened up. Somebody received a word of knowledge that was so accurate. It was powerful. I want to put to you that it was power, but not full. I want to put to you that a powerful meeting can only be decided by what happens outside the room. I want to put to you and suggest to you that if the power only affects the people inside, it is power, but it is not full. For in the city of Ephesus so mightily grew the word of God that it prevailed. In other words, what happened in a meeting transformed a city. On the day of Pentecost, when they all spoke in tongues, men from every nation gathered around outside a meeting of just 120 people. I want to put to you that what makes a meeting powerful is what happens outside the meeting. My measurement of powerful meeting is no longer 500 people. You know, I preached this year in front of the largest crowd I've ever preached in front of in my life. 120,000 people in one meeting. I sat there and I was like, goodness me. This is hard work. You don't even want to excite anybody. Because in a meeting of 120,000 people, the first 10,000 people say amen. And then the next 10,000 people are like, what are they saying amen about? Then they get it, they say amen. And so you spend about 10 minutes waiting for the end of the hall to finish their amen before you can get your next point up. Another definition of powerful meeting is when you have thousands of people show up. We love taking selfies and saying, look how many people came for this powerful meeting. Noah preached 120 years. Seven people got saved. I said, if you don't say amen, you make me nervous. Noah preached 120 years. Seven people entered a boat. And yet Noah will get to heaven and hear God say, well done. 120 years of ministry, seven people got saved. May it never be said in Africa that our buildings were full, but our boats were empty. We have to change the measurement of success. And I'm not saying size is not a measurement. Because size is a measurement. It is not the measurement. This is why when Jesus had crowds of 3,000, he sent them home. Can you imagine Judas's face, the terrorist, when he's finally thinking, finally, a revolt. A crowd big enough for a revolution. And Jesus feeds them and sends them away. 5,000, finally an army, feeds them, sends them away. And he draws his 12 aside. Because to change nations, you don't need an audience. You need an army. An army of 12 is always more effective than an audience of thousands. 
So when we look at this in Isaiah 61, the Bible, the Bible says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the, to the, to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the, the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberties to the, open it, freedom to the prisoners. In other words, the anointing is for the desperate. Read it again. Every single, oh, it's up here. Thank you, Jesus. Every single person the anointing is for is for a victim. The anointing is for the victim. Somebody said to me one day, they said, Apostle, I don't understand what's going on with my church. I said, what's going on? They said, I keep attracting drug addicts and prostitutes and sinners and prisoners. I said, what are you praying for? They said, I'm praying for more anointing. Good. Here's your problem. The anointing brings victims. For years, the emphasis of Africa has been the anointing. And I love the anointing. I grew up reading Benny Hinn's book, The Anointing. I read his book, Good Morning, Holy Spirit. I love the anointing. I appreciate the anointing. But can I tell you something? The anointing is for the victims. This is why we have more anointings in Africa than in England. Because we have more victims. Hello, somebody. So somebody said to me one day, tell me, I don't understand. Why is the power of God not manifesting in England like it's manifesting in Africa? I said, do you people have too much NHS? Not NHS, is National Health Service. You get ill, you take paracetamol. Your lights go out, you call the electrician. In Africa, when lights go out, there's a prayer meeting. Shakoda bakata tabasha. Are you understanding? Where sin abounds, grace all the more abounds. So we have these great men and women of God that have been able to dig out of great reservoirs of the anointing because there are more problems I've put to anybody. This is why we do Prophet's House. We have a meeting called Prophet's House in Nigeria. We invite people from all over the world, China, Hong Kong, America, UK, to Africa. And we put them in a village. What's the village? Pangshin. <laughs> oh. Electricity is how many hours? Six hours a day, you get electricity. Come and see these uh, Westerners walking into their house looking for every cockroach. Can I tell you what happens? Grace grows. And sin abounds. Grace abounds all the more. You see, there's no greater preachers anywhere in the world than Africa. I say that without bias. Because you, when you're in a desert and you're in a dry place, you have to dig deep wells for water. So you see great men, great friends of mine, great men in the ministry like Reverend Julian, like Apostle Selman, like Nathaniel Bassi, Dunsin, people all over Africa. And you wonder, where did these anointings come from? They dug deep because the problems were deep. Where there's no great health service, there's greater miracles. Because that's what the anointing is for. The anointing is the provision of God to meet a demand, regardless of the character of the person. And this is what I need us to understand in East Africa. No matter how bad the character of the person is, God will still anoint them. 
Because the anointing is the ministry of mercy. It is not a validation of character. Moses, speak to this rock. Moses beat the rock. Did water still come out of the rock? Yes. So activity doesn't even equate spirituality. Just because it worked doesn't mean God is in it. God can be on it and not in it. I want to help you. God can be on it and not with it. He said, tell the children of Israel, go on to the land flowing with milk and honey. I'll go ahead of you. I'll drive out. I'll deliver you. But I won't go with you. I'll be on it, but I won't be in it. Have you not read how Saul was possessed by a demon? And often the demon would seize him. And when the demon sees him, he throws spears at David. And the only thing David could do was continue to be a great worship leader to calm the spirit that would seize Saul. But in one chapter, with a demon living in him, the spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied. Because God can be on it and not in it. When you're desperate, when you're desperate, you don't care what's in it. You only care what's on it. Shall I say it again, sir? When you're desperate, you only care what's on it. You don't care what's in it. And so for the sake of results, because the anointing brings results, for the sake of results, a desperate nation will go to anything that's on it, regardless of what's in it. Can I tell you, when Saul killed all the prophets in Israel, he went to a witch in Endor. He didn't care what was in it. He just cared what was on it. His only desire was resolved. When Balak called for Balaam, howbeit Balaam was a fetish prophet, he came and the Spirit of God came on Balaam. Not in him, not with him, just on him. Because we know God wasn't with it because God sent a donkey to tell him, I'm not with this. I'll be on it, but I won't be with it. It's a dangerous thing for God to be on it and not with it. For many will come in that day and declare, we prophesied in your name. And I'll declare to them, be gone from me, you worker of iniquity, for I never knew you. That means it is possible to work all manner of sin and still manifest miracles. Because God can be on it and not in it. The anointing is for the victim. To preach the good news to the poor. To bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives. And freedom to the prisoners. To comfort all who mourn. To give them beauty for the garment of praise for the spirit of Every single person aforementioned is a victim. Every single person aforementioned is desperate. And the danger of a desperate people is desperate leaders that can capitalize and build economies of desperation. If you sow this seed, 
in the next seven days. If I be a man of God, if you do this in, in three days, and I'm not saying there's not biblical precedent for seed. I'm not saying there's not biblical precedent for offering. I'm not saying there's not biblical precedent for these things. But true prophets never leave people desperate. If you need me, if you need me, I'm enabling you. If you don't need me, I'm equipping you. And last time I checked, the Bible said, equip the saints for the works of ministry. That they're no longer desperately storm-tossed everywhere by every wind of doctrine, by the deceitfulness of man. My ministry in life is to beat the desperation out of the church. Desperate people do desperate things. They are willing, for the sake of desperation, to tap into anything that will bring a result. Because they're desperate. But look what the scripture says. This is where anybody in Africa grabs a hold of what the Bible says next will be the first one to take Africa. And I believe if you're called the horn of Africa, then the horn must be exalted first. Anybody who will take what I'm about to say next, can I tell you something? When you live off of a desperation economy, I have realized my great power, the greatest power of anybody is to say, thus saith the Lord. The greatest power. You can exploit anybody. From the Lord said. Woo! The moment you say that, I've seen all kinds of mess. I've been in this prophetic ministry 20 years now. I've seen all kinds of mess. 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 I know the power of somebody hearing you give information that you could not have sourced had God not told you. And then I can see when that person shifts from revelation to divination. And that poor soul doesn't even know what's happened. I'm not saying these people didn't start loving God. I'm saying it's very easy to become addicted to the pulpit and allergic to the altar. If Tommy Oriami does not have a prayer life, I can become like every other prophet who's exploiting the ministry for personal gain. If I don't put this flesh on the altar every day, because the only thing that can save prophets is their altar. This is why the first thing Elijah rebuilt was the altar of God. Because when victims come, the flesh says, how can I exploit these people? When victims come and they're getting solutions from you, I've realized some people go from wanting the anointing to wanting the attention. And please understand, I'm not criticizing ministers or ministries, but I'm trying to get you to a place where you're desperation proof. 
where your sound In Africa, we are about 20 years behind schedule. That's why I love this ministry. That's why when Rev. Julian says, come, I, I come. I don't even know if the Lord sent me or Rev. Julian sent me. I don't know anymore. When he says, come, I come. Because any ministry that disciples and empowers and equips its people, that's where I'm going. very rare. It's very rare to find somebody that wants the people to excel. But let me say this. This is good soil. This is excellent soil. This is excellent soil for this kind of word. We're 20 years behind schedule for one reason. We want miracles above principles. When you live with a miracle mindset, you become like the children of Israel. The Bible says, Israel knew God's works, Moses knew God's ways. Africa, we have been fed so much by anointed men an anointed woman of God, that we have developed an appetite for miracles above principles. So when you hear Prophet Tommy's coming to town, your first instinct is, let me get my prophecy. Ay, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about your neighbor. You see the videos, you watch the prophetic ministry, and you say, I'm here to get my prophetic ministry. I'm here to hear the word of the Lord. And if you're not careful, you'll deceive yourself into thinking that you are the harvest. You're not the harvest anymore. Healing is the children's bread. You're not a child anymore. I came to tell you, you're no longer children, so God no longer needs to feed you with manna. Because if God continues to feed you with manna, you remain an infant. And uh, as long as he remains a child, uh, 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 an heir, as long as he remains a child, differs no more than a household servant, though he's heir of all. <laughs> though he's heir of all. As long as you remain a child, what does a child do? Prophesy to me. Go deeper, Papa. Mijawan. Prophesy. Children, healing is the bread of children. And if I keep coming to you to prophesy to you and prophesy to you and prophesy to you, I infantilize you. I keep you as a dependent. Moses got so busy prophesying to the people that he, he described his ministry as analogous to a mother suckling children, grown adults still drinking breast milk. That's what Moses said. He said, did I, he, he said, did I give birth to these people? In other words, let me give you Nigerian. Did I bond these people? <laughs> did I bond them? And you've told me to go and carry them like a, like a, like a suckling uh, uh, mother carries a suckling infant. Because every day they come to him. Imagine, they just got out of Egypt, come to the Dead Sea, and they looked at him and said, man of God. Yeah, wicked. Sorry. My Bible, God is Nigerian, everybody's Nigerian. My Bible is a Nollywood Bible. God, yeah, wicked. 
You have brought us here to suffer. Eh? Moses opens the water. Shh. And Miriam starts saying, Look what the Lord has done. The horseman and his rider thrown into the sea. Oh, everybody's praising God. And we come to a place where the waters are bitter. Oh, Moses, oh. Come here. You are wicked, oh. So be, well, we the one that say we want you to take us out. You have led us here to suffer. When we had soft life in Egypt, you will bring us here and we go tired. <laughs> so Moses turns the water sweet. Look what the Lord has done. And they come to a place where they're hungry. Ah, oh, Moses. Mo! No longer Moses, just Mo. Mo! We're hungry. Where are we going to get bread? Can God furnish table in this good dinner? Oh, in Egypt, we had nice table, dinner, onions, leek. How are you doing? Bring us here. God said, okay. They said, I can't furnish a table in the wilderness. What will I do? Bread comes out of heaven. They look at the bread. And they say, ah, kilo day. They said, manna. Manna means, waiting be that. What is this? Ah, uh, that's why some of you, I believe, was say, "God, I want a husband. I want a wife." God sent you your husband and your wife. You look at them. You say, "Mana." So God makes bread come out of heaven. Bread comes out the sky. They eat the bread. They say, we're tired of this bread. Give us meat. You see, Israel was set back 40 years in its prophetic destiny because it had a miracle mindset. Africa has seen many Moses. Moses preachers who will come and do big crusades. And I have no problem with it. I love crusades. In fact, we did one here with Reverend in Kenya. But crusades are for the children. You're not the harvest anymore. You're the harvester. Can I tell you what we do in ministry if we're not careful because we recognize the exploitation of ministry as leaders, it's very easy to find you broken and then fix you. And then once we fix you because we feel redundant, we break you again. And thus, the African abuse of ministry begins. Where are you going? Don't you know I made you? If you leave here, I go curse you. Because when a leader leads by the anointing only, it's because of the need to be needed. 
So often what we call leaders are needers. They need to be needed. So we'll get the broken, they'll fix them. Then once they're fixed, they'll break them again. And thus begins the cycle of ministry abuse. Because the leader was ill-equipped to equip the saints. The next phase of shift and change in Africa. I say Africa because really it's for the taker. The Lord showed me that the next shift in Africa is for those who go from enabling the saints to equipping the saints. The next shift in Africa is going to come from a church cultural revolution. We're going to see the church pulpit, not just from a place of, and I'm not saying healings will go away. You see, after the Lord Wilberforce's of the UK and the Wesleys, the UK left miracles alone and went all the way to the other side of the pendulum. There must be a balance. But look what the Bible says. Verse 4. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. The victims become the nation builders. This is the next phase. Who's they? The one that was sick. The one that was in despair. The one that was a captive. Now becomes a rebuilder of nations. Now becomes a raiser of former desolation. Now becomes a repairer of ruined cities. Listen, I love elections and all of that stuff. I, 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 I'm okay with elections. I have no problem with them. But God's eyes are not as much on your elections as they are on your elect. I marveled in the United States when we prophesied the, among other prophets, the Trump victory as president. I marveled as I went to the United States and I saw Christians decline. I saw Christians sit back and go, hey, they're fine now. This guy will take care of everything. I watched and I marveled. Because Cyrus is not for Cyrus's sake. Cyrus has always been for the church's sake. And so when God gives you righteous leaders, you know they're righteous because the world order fights them. But righteous leaders are not for the sake of righteous leaders. They're for the permission of a Nehemiah generation to rebuild. I don't know how long this window will be. I know in the spirit there's a tug of war over the nation of Kenya. There's a tug of war over your resources. There's a tug of war over your agriculture. There's a tug of war over your wood and forests. There's a fight. And there's a tug of war. I saw a vision when I came in here. And in this vision, I saw the anger of God turn from Kenya towards the United Nations. And I said to the Lord, why are you angry? And he said, Kenya needs to know their help comes from me and not from the United Nations. Watch this. And then I saw the Lord breathing upon the land. And I saw famines rising up from the land, like just dryness. And I said to the Lord, why is this dryness? And he said, I will end the dryness when they turn back to me. 
Listen. I don't know what your leading economy is. But I believe when God's speaking about farms and agrarian cultures, He's speaking about food prices rising, gas prices rising, energy prices rising. And when they rise to an uncontrollable level, it's because something in agriculture got messed up. And it tips over into every other area of life. What do prophets do? We call for rain upon the land. I believe God wants it to rain upon Kenya again. No, listen, I believe it. I saw in a vision as I was flying over Kenya, I saw, um, I saw NGOs, lots of NGOs, and I saw these NGOs backed by the United Nations, and I saw some of them were fronts for child trafficking. And I looked at, into others of them, and listen, I'm, I'm flying and I'm, I'm having this dream stroke vision because I'm, I'm trying to sleep. So I saw some of them becoming fronts for child trafficking. And I'm not just talking about child trafficking for slave labor. I saw them becoming fronts for child adoptions in America where they'll flee poverty and enter LGBT identities. I saw NGOs backed by UN for the singular agenda of making Kenya a gateway for LGBTQ. And I said to the Lord, what can we do? And the Lord said, Kenya needs to know I am her source and not the United Nations. So I believe whatever this famine is has come upon the land. Can we, can we address it today? I believe the solution is this. If I send for a famine upon the land, and if I shut up the heavens that there be no more rain, if my people call by my name shall humble ourselves, seek God's face and pray, and turn from our wicked ways, he'll hear from heaven, he'll forgive our sins, and he'll heal our life. Why don't we respond to that right now? Rise to our feet, every single one of us. I want to see God reset the clock of this nation. But it's going to take deliberate action on our part. Where we have said, oh, you know, I'm going to go to, we're going to go to the UN or we're going to go to China or we're going to go to these places to provide for us. God wants to do a work in Kenya. I'll tell you the final vision that I saw. I saw the words Kenya, and then I saw the words the living room of Africa. I said to the Lord, what does this mean? He said, what will happen tonight and today in this meeting will make Kenya the most livable place in Africa. I see a time coming in your newspapers where they're going to start talking about Kenya being just the most livable place. I see them, I see the eyes of the world turning and saying, oh, but we thought South Africa was the rising economy in, in Africa. And I just see the favor of the Lord coming upon this nation. And people from every nation are going to want to find refuge here and living space here. Can we pray for that? Father, in the name of Jesus.
we fall on our knees before you. And we humble ourselves before you. And Lord, we repent wherever we have walked in the exploitation of the assignment of God on our lives. For I repent as a prophet on behalf of my fellow prophets, wherever we have exploited our gifts and our abilities for personal gain, wherever we have said peace, peace, where there is none, wherever we have prophesied to satisfy our bellies, Lord, I repent. And Lord, I ask you in the mighty name of Jesus over the landscape of Kenya, do a work in our day that if it was told us, we would not believe it. Father, in the name of Jesus, I shut down every door, every back door, every loophole that the West and Western powers are trying to infiltrate Kenya with. I shut down the doors of sexual perversion. I shut down the doors of that predatory spirit that is trying to enter Africa through Kenya. And we declare its works null and void. And Father, we repent where we have relied on United Nations and where we have relied on the pressure of their sanctions to, to do certain things in our schools and education systems that were not pleasing to you. And Father, we ask you, heal our land. You said if we see these things and humble ourselves, you'll send rain upon the land, the former rain and the latter rain. Lord, where the land has dried up, heal it again in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Make Kenya a stage for your glory. Make Kenya a stage for your glory across Africa in the name of Jesus. Do as you have said you would do. Let this place become the living room of Africa. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And when you're done, please take your glory to satisfy to see Just pray in the spirit for a few seconds. Reverend Julian, I just see in the spirit, I see this place, and I just see oil. I see anointing oil. And I see women with oil in their hands just anointing the place. And I just see the curses over the land being wiped away. And I hear the Lord say, I am laying a new foundation in this place. And the Lord says, from this place, I will build equipping centers. I will build schools. I will build housing. 
I will build, says the Lord, a structure that will call this place not just a church, but a city. I just see a Ruach city that the Lord wants to establish a city. And the Lord wants to, the Lord says, in 10 years' time, this area will be blessed because of what has begun in this place. I see blueprints open up in front of me, and I just see an angel of the Lord laying open these blueprints. And I just see big apartments being built up. And I just see housing and territories. And I just see architecture that's not just about the church. I see it being built around it. And I see the Lord opening up SWAT teams, teams for finance, teams for banking, teams for retail ownership, teams for hospitals, teams for education and schools. And I just see the Lord granting you favor. I see businesses and NGOs that are going to be raised for the purpose of building foundations that don't even exist today. I see you acquiring more than this land. I see it starting here, but I see like blueprints for different things that are being built. I see, I see crazy visions I see shopping malls and shopping centers. I just see a huge hub being built here. And where they said, this is the first great city, this is the second great city. I believe you're about to build the third great city. And I see the Lord establishing international commerce in the middle of Kenya. I just see 10 years. And the Lord says, I will make this place a Goshen. And I'm, I feel like I'm going north into the north. Into the north. I don't even know where we are geographically, but I feel like I'm going into the north. This is the north. And I just see that there are farms that the Lord is going to cause you to acquire. I see like, um, I see farmers, unions that are going to learn different ways of farming that is going to be said like in the days of Joseph. This field is blessed because the righteous are in it. And people are going to wonder, how is this growing all kinds of things when our, our grounds are hardened? And I just hear the Lord say, from the north, you will begin to see the fallow ground being broken up again. And where people have said, this is an arid place, I see farmers coming from surrounding regions into the north of Kenya because they want to learn how can these things be. Father, I release the reign of God upon Kenya. I release the provision of God upon this land. I partner with this ministry to say, let the rain begin to fall again. 
Let the fallow ground be broken up again. Father, wherever there are dying cattle, let there be fat cows. Declare seven years of abundance upon this land. Just as you did in Joseph's day, do it again. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.